Hi, Ralph. Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? Good. And welcome, uh, listeners, to uh, our podcast. Well, I'm looking at the uh, uh, meter here, Ralph. <laughs> I think we're probably going to be blasting our uh, our listeners out of uh, their their seats. So we'll turn it down a little bit and see what happens here. That looks a little better. Okay. So let's begin. Let's, let's, I wonder what the difference. What the heck happened here? One, two, three. Now we haven't got any volume. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Hmm. Four, five, six. <laughs> Stop. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? Hey, Ralph. I'm doing well, thank you. Um, hey, we've got our music in the background. Yeah, we're in our high-tech studio in the university offices, and uh, it's going to be a fun broadcast today. It is, uh, because we're going to be looking at some stuff that, that our listeners have actually uh, asked us to uh, address. Um, with some aspects of positive psychology, but you know, it's kind of interesting, Ralph. I was listening to... Uh, a, uh, the the news as I was driving in today uh, uh -huh. on uh, uh, Morning Edition. And tonight on um, All Things Considered, they're going to talk about a study that apparently has come out fairly recently about uh, what people are looking for in uh, relationships. Okay, well, I, I know that. Everybody's looking for the uh, perfect mate who's handsome, uh, glib, and uh, generally speaking, a good person. Okay, well, you have a couple of them there, I suppose, but no, the, the uh, uh, text seems to be that uh, people are looking for uh, individuals either to mate or to date who are emotionally mature, and looks doesn't seem to be a, one of the, the factors, and uh, glibness doesn't seem to be one of the factors, but emotional maturity. Uh, okay, well, you know, that's interesting, Jim, because one of the things that I was reading in the newspaper today was uh, a article about a, a cartoon that had been posted, uh, I, uh, I think, on Twitter, um, which showed a politician uh, attempting to strangle another politician, cartoon figures with uh, various photographs put on the heads. Okay. Okay, so, and I thought, you know, like here we have two people who are supposedly Congress critters who should know better, uh, who are certainly not acting in what you would call an emotionally mature way. <laughs> That's true. And I think emotional maturity may have been one of the... Uh... Uh, the victims of COVID-19. You know, we've, we've got a few victims out there, but, uh, you know, that could have been could have been one of them. You know, one of the things that our, our listeners have talked to us about or asked about was friendship. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's interesting, Jim, because you and I have an ongoing friendship since uh, we were probably uh, two and a half, three years old. Yeah, so... You know, in terms of our emotional maturity, that's what, about three years ago, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's much longer than 70, I can tell you that. And the thing is, I guess, that uh, you find through the course of your life, 
some people who will be lifelong friends, and you also find other people who will be transient uh, friends. They're, they're only friends when you live in a particular town or work in a particular job, and they move away or you move away, and you quickly lose contact. Right. I think that's a, a, a real possibility. You can think back to when you were in uh, college, say. Um, I was at uh, uh, Michigan State, and I had friends at, at Michigan State in East Lansing, but uh, when I moved back to Canada, guess what? My friendship group was you know, non-existent. Yeah. They, they were all in the, the United States while I was in Canada. Well, one, one exception. You were up in Sault Ste. Marie also, and you know we would go to the Royal Hotel and drink drafts and have pre lunch, and pretend to be people, yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And then when you moved to Kingston, uh, I would travel uh, with my uh, then spouse uh, down to Kingston, and uh, we would have uh, good times visiting you, and so. You know, we, we stayed in contact even though we ended up in different countries at various times, and that was a good thing. Yeah, right. So the question that, that um, came up, actually with two different people that I was working with this week, was how do I make friends? And the, the, the people who were asking this were um, about 14 years of age. And, okay. Uh, I came up with a, three or four different things. Well, ask somebody uh, a question, uh, compliment someone, uh, uh, ask for help. You know, those are, and uh, they, neither of these people wanted to do that. They just wanted to talk and uh, uh, show other people how uh, fantastically uh, uh, wonderful and erudite they were. And uh, they didn't want to listen to anybody uh, speak uh, of themselves. Well, you know, uh, Mark Twain had a, a, a wonderful quip on that, Jim. He said that uh, when he was 17, his father was uh, one of the stupidest men he knew. And when he became 21, he was amazed at how much his father had learned in only four short years. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the things that is a barrier to friendship really is... Uh, Trying to show off, trying to to be you know the smartest guy in the room, because the smartest guy in the room almost never walks in and says, "Hi, I'm the smartest guy in the room." That's very true, and you know you mentioned quips. You're good with quips, Ralph. And as we were coming into the university today, you had one something to the effect of. Uh, uh, if you don't know anything, at least you should have the decency to keep your mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> and which is sometimes equal, equivalent of the old saying that uh, if uh, if you're uh, how did it go now? If you if you're uh, not a smart man, you should cultivate smoking a pipe because smoking a pipe give something uh, to do with your hands while you think up the correct answer. <laughs> and it gives something to stick in your mouth uh, when you're worried about sounding like a fool. Okay. Well, uh, I wonder why there are so many 
pipe smokers in our uh, circle of friends here often. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the problem that was identified, uh, you know, not having friends, is currently being identified as a COVID-19 problem with the isolation of, of people, uh, with uh, uh, people not going into the uh, workplace. Um, uh, but, you know, it's been a problem for a lot longer than the last two years. Yeah, everybody kind of says, well, yeah, it goes back to uh, the uh, 1990s when we developed, uh, you know, the the whole internet and people started self-isolating in their basements uh, looking for things that were confirmation bias so that you know, everything they got confirmed what they believed. But that's... But, but no, it's... It, uh, predates that by about 20 years or so at least. Yeah, well, uh, in fact, 30 years because uh, it goes back to a book that Vance Packard wrote in 1974. A Nation of Strangers. Yeah, and, and he said that the, the isolation uh, was caused by people who were uh, leaving their home communities for jobs. And they, they were geographically mobile. So yeah. they were they were leaving uh, Sault Ste. Marie and going to Kingston, Ontario, or vice versa. And uh, hey, the roots that they had in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, friendships developed over you know many years from childhood to teenhood into young adulthood weren't there anymore. And so people who you know were really not trained to um, cultivate new relationships. Yeah, and one of the things uh, that, you know, some of our listeners may say, well, I can identify with that. Boy, when I got my first job and I had to move a thousand miles away from my hometown, and there I was, uh, you know, um, gee, alone, isolated. Right. You know, uh, you probably had some uh, people that you worked with. I know when I went to uh, the penitentiary in Kingston, I had a lot of co-workers and we would hang out uh, uh, after work. We'd go out for drinks, go to uh, the boat club or, you know, a number of us sailed. Uh, so we had kind of a, a built-in social group. But, you know, if you're um, uh, working on the line, you know, putting rivets in part X, and somebody's putting rivets in part Y, that might not be really the grounds for, for uh, you know, any kind of uh, social interaction. Yeah, and, uh, you know, my first job in teaching, uh, my fellow uh, teachers uh, were, were all people who, uh, who had unusually heavy alcohol consumption. And oh. it, it was a great temptation for me to say, well, you know, here I am, I'm the new puppy, and I want to follow the pack. Um, <laughs> Following the pack off the edge of the uh, mountain? Or, yeah, uh, well, that uh, that was kind of it. It took me a couple of years to sort of say, this is no way to live. Hmm, okay. Um, so, you know, you think about friendship, and, uh, um, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, alcohol. The... the the, the TV show that comes to mind 
is Cheers. Yeah. Where everybody knows your name. Right. And the problem with that is that um, you go you go into uh, a lot of uh, saloons these days and they're either huge places that feature music played so loud that you can't hear yourself think, let alone talk to somebody. Good point. Or they are filled with sad dipsomaniacs who are sitting there counting their change to figure out whether they can have another drink or not. Hmm, okay. So it's not necessarily a good environment to find lasting friendships. Yeah, right. Uh, so what are the... What are the, the the causes of this uh, this adulthood uh, lack of friendship. Well, one psychologist said there are about three things. Okay. One is something we've been addressing, and that's change. Change, you know, yeah. Go, uh, uh, whether that change is uh, social isolation through COVID-19 or whether it's not being able to you know, go to work or you know, uh, show up in large groups. The second one has to do with social media. Now, social media is kind of interesting. We've talked about this before. It's supposed to connect us, right? I mean, right. That, that was the idea, I think. You know, you can, although I'm not sure what the original idea of Facebook was. I think it was to get girls, right? Yeah, to find girls you could date. Yeah. Um, so, recently, the research seems to, seems to suggest that Rather than connecting us with other people, it seems to isolate us. Yeah, and uh, you know that that goes back to what I was saying earlier that uh, when you're on social media, there's a great tendency to try and find things that uh, fit in with your pre-existing uh, thought patterns, and. Some of that is not necessarily uh, a good thing in the sense that uh, you then don't have anybody who's sitting around like you did in in uh, high school classes or university classes debating the other side. Aha, uh -huh. challenging you. In fact, challenging people these days is downright dangerous. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the cartoon that I mentioned, uh, <laughs> right. you know, sometimes that can happen to you. Yeah. But... The thing is that um, basically, if you think about it, yeah, you're you're feeling connected to all these people, but in reality, you're sitting at your computer. Yeah, you're connected to your device. Um, good, good point. The third thing that psychologists have uh, sort of identified is that we're kind of lazy at actually making friends or attempting to make friends. The two kids I was telling you about, you know, they wanted kind of instant friends. Yeah, well, it's, we, it's sort of the instant gratification culture that that we live in now, you know. Nobody has time to be in a 12-car lineup at McDonald's. You go somewhere else. Yeah, good good point. In fact, we saw that when we went in to um, get our coffee and donuts this morning. Some woman was ahead of us and uh, the person ahead of her was taking like 30 seconds or so, and she kind of stormed out and saying, well, I'll just use my card at the uh, at the pump. Yeah. I mean, wow, that's a pretty short fuse. Yeah, and, you know, part of the thing is that all of us, Jim, come through uh, an easy culture. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you, you go into elementary school, junior high school, high school, college or university if you, if you go on, uh, and every one of those environments is rife with opportunities to make friends. Good point, yeah. And even your new job is going to be rife with, with opportunities. So there's a, a list out there that uh, uh, I found and, and shared with these two young people. Um, and I can remember some of the things that uh, um, were on the list. One, smile more. Yeah. Uh, another was to, you know, reach out to old friends. You know, if you um, had a friend in elementary school who's no longer in your immediate friendship group, you know, just reach out to them. Yeah, and that's one of the positive things about the social media is you can probably find just about anybody on social media and reach out to them and say, hi, just a note to uh, tell you that I was thinking about my elementary, high school, whatever, and uh, your name crossed my mind and I thought I'd just say hi. Hey, that's a good use of the, uh, of the uh, current technology. Uh, another possibility, and we were talking about this before we went on today, Ralph, and that is to um, join a group. Yeah, and you know, I don't care what your interests are, the chances are pretty good that in almost any town you can find a pre-existing group that is involved with uh, your interests. Now, let me give you an example. There's a, a woodworking group in our local community, um, and I went to several of their meetings uh, and enjoyed them, but there wasn't anybody in that group that I could uh, I could really connect with. And why was that? Well, the people there were um, older more experienced woodworkers. Okay. It's hard to believe, Ralph, that anybody's older than you. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they had lots of experience, and probably some of them were willing to share, but nobody stepped forth and said, hey, you're, you're, a, you're a newbie woodworker. Uh, let me come on over to my shop, and I'll show you some things. Uh-huh, okay. So, I get that. Uh, what, uh, what did I do faced with that eventuality? What did you do? I went to the university and took an interest course, uh, just audited it. It didn't cost me anything, but I learned a lot. Okay. And there were a couple of people in there that uh, I think I could have been uh, good friends with, but... Um, I left at the end of class every uh, every class time to uh, to go home, and so I didn't say to anybody, "Do you want to go for a coffee?" Mm -hmm. okay. You know, which I probably should have. And that is one of the keys that uh, the the conventional wisdom from psychologists says about um, the idea of making friends as an adult is you're out of that natural group of 
public, uh, secondary, and post-secondary schools where people naturally fall into friendships, mm -hmm. it takes work. It takes work. And you have to be vulnerable because you could say, oh, let's go for a coffee. And uh, both of your would-be friends say, no, I have to go home. I've got, you know, things, yeah. things to do. Things to do or I've got family commitments or yeah. whatever it is, yeah. you know. So you have to be, be open, you know, to, to vulnerability. I guess it kind of um, uh, goes into that uh, saying, and this is really a mixed metaphor, but if you want to find a princess, you have to kiss a lot of frogs. Yeah, well, like you know, uh, the guy who said, well, you know, if you ask 100 people out and 99 of them say no, congratulations, you've got a date. <laughs> There you go. Okay. But the thing is that uh, you know the somebody else said you've got to you've got to think about this as the Brad Pitt test. What is the Brad Pitt test? Well, you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to ask this person out. Uh, what would they say if Brad Pitt asked them out? Okay. Or Jennifer Aniston, if you're of the opposite gender. Um, and the answer is, uh, well, probably yes. They'd probably say yes, and they'd probably drop everything to say yes. Okay, right. So if you get a, uh, gee, thanks, but I've got to wash my hair tonight, um, don't ask them again. You know, they're not interested. Okay. But if somebody says, well, I, I've got a commitment tonight, but could we hang out on the weekend? Um... Uh, a little closer. A little closer. That's, okay. that's something you should capitalize on. Okay. So, okay. you know, one of the things is that you have to be able to take no for an answer, but you have to look for the positive. You have to look for the yes. Okay, good, good point. You know, you mentioned that part of the sense of isolation might be when you leave your university and you go halfway across the country, or in some cases you go to other countries. Um, and being a new person in town is often an advantage because you're novel, and so you might get some invites. Yeah. So say yes to the invites. Yeah. You know? So, uh, and that gets us down to something that Jim and I were kind of debating. We weren't sure that it was completely true, but I've read an article recently that suggests that people naturally fall into two categories. No, not the sane and the insane. But, <laughs> Hello, uh, yeah, probably uh, multiple categories there. Yeah, but uh, there are people who are naturally hosts, and there are people who are naturally guests. Hosts and guests. Yeah. Okay, now a host is somebody who likes to Host other people, have a party, uh, right? Yeah, get together, have a dinner. Uh, let, let's uh, and a guest come might, on over to my house for lunch. And a guest might be then someone who enjoys that so that they enjoy social company, social interactions. But as I think about it a little bit, the guest might not be all that comfortable being... Being a host. A host. Okay, continue on with this. So you say to yourself, well, you know, I invited... Uh, Joe um, three times and uh, Joe and his spouse came over three times 
and uh, they seem to enjoy themselves, but they haven't asked me back. Gee, does that mean they don't like me? Well, the answer probably is no. It probably means that Joe and his spouse are naturally guests. Now, if you are a Joe, there is something you can do to be proactive, and that is to put um, a little money aside and call up uh, the host and his spouse and say, join us for lunch, our treat. Okay, now... That takes you out of the, I've got to host somebody at my house. Yeah, okay, I, I see it. But you're, yeah, you're reciprocating because, you know, who do we choose for friends? You know, we choose people who are like-minded, you know, like yeah. us. And so uh, if it looks like your, your guest uh, will not reciprocate, then, you know, the, the message might be, you know, we're just too different. They were just, you know, whereas you're saying that this natural guest person just wouldn't be super comfortable doing the big dinner, but, yeah. but saying, you know, uh, hey, you know, come on over, let's let's you know go out for for, for lunch, and uh, you know, so it's yeah, a reciprocal thing. They're, they're, you're not buying your your friend, but you are you're also you're paying them back. Right? Yeah, and and the other thing, Jim, is that if we think of uh, think of myself and Karen as an example, uh, Karen does not like to cook. She would do anything other than cook, but she loves to set a fine looking table and produce the flowers and make everything wonderful for a set of guests. I, on the other hand, really enjoy cooking for company. I'm not sure I like very much cooking for two people, but I like cooking for a gang of four, six, eight, something like that. So we fall into a team with each other's strengths. But if neither of you likes to cook, and neither of you likes the idea of I have to spend a half a day cleaning up my house so that company come in, uh, then calling somebody and saying, hey, come on for lunch with us, is a way of reciprocating. Yeah, okay, good, uh, good, good point. You know, something else occurs to me here, Ralph, and that is, um, um, you know, we're a very competitive society, you know, we, and uh, numbers mean a lot to us, but you know, when you're thinking about friendship, you know, it's really quality that counts, not quantity. Yeah, uh, and I had a good example of that from my grandson when he was still in high school. Uh, and he was very active on Facebook at the time. Okay. And he said, gee, Grandpa, I have 675, or some number like that, 600 and something, uh, Facebook friends. And I said to him, uh, that's very good. How many friends do you have in real life? And that stopped him for a minute, and then he said, four. Okay. So the thing is that there's sometimes a vast disparity between people who will friend you on Facebook. And be your actual and friend. be an actual friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have very many friends. Um, you know, I have some, you know, some acquaintances, but, uh, you know, I think... Uh, my wife, uh, you, uh, 
Karen, your wife. That's you know that's my my group of, of friends. And I you know don't really feel uh, that I uh, am am lacking or, or you know missing out. Uh, however, they, these kids that I was talking to, they they did feel you know that they were they were lacking, and so some of the things that we were talking about, you know, joining a, a, a club, uh, introducing yourself, uh, listening to other people, those are all going to be things that will, will help to identify friendships. One of the things that has not come up when I've been looking at uh, websites, and I guess it speaks to kind of where we are right now as a country, um, I didn't see any mention of um, church affiliation. And that used to be kind of a, a, a given, right? Yeah. And part of that, I think, Jim, is because people have, many people now say, if you ask them, they're spiritual, but they're not religious. And what they mean by that is, I believe in some kind of a higher power, but I don't go to church. Right. And it used to be, yeah, we would go to church and, you know, that's where we would meet people. Yeah, and that that was, uh, you know, and with everything else, with all the positives that uh, a religion might bring to your life, uh, back in the day, that was a natural meeting place. And people of, of my advanced years, if you ask them, uh, well, uh, you know, where, where did you meet your, your husband or your wife? They will often say at church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're offering offering uh, some alternatives. It, I think the the real thing that we're talking about here, Ralph, is that if you want to have friendships, uh, you're gonna have to work at it. Yeah. You're, you're gonna have to uh, uh, face some perhaps fearful challenges. Yeah, and you know, one of the things when I talked about. Uh, uh, people in high school or university challenging you in uh, in a bowl session, uh, you may find that in people who eventually become very good friends, is that the first thing that they will do when you voice some opinion, they will say something like, how do you know that? Or why do you believe that? Uh, and you have to be prepared to say, well, not just because I do, but to give a response that's, uh, if not logical, at least uh, defensible. And uh, the other thing is, if you're not naturally a good listener, as uh, Jim found his uh, young people weren't, uh, there's lots of sites where you can find advice about listening. It is a skill. It is a skill indeed. And today we looked at some aspects of the skill of making friends. And uh, until next time, Ralph, I'm going to say this is Jim. And Ralph. Saying, keep your stick on the ice. Because we're all in, in this, this together. together.